Hello, and welcome to Grim and Whim, unnerving tales to haunt, mystify, and spark curiosity. Let's be curious together. Before I start the first story, I just wanted to say thank you for everyone who's been listening. And when this podcast comes out, it should be Friday, December 30th, 2022, which means the next podcast will be coming out in the new year, 2023. And I'm just so excited and looking forward to what 2023 has in store for us all. But I'm also excited because I have a lot of ideas going forward with the podcast and I'm excited to share them with you. And I'm also excited to try new things and to continue to spark my own curiosity and hopefully yours as well. And so I wanted to say thank you again for listening to the podcast because the growth that I've had this year, well, it is tiny. It is still progress. It's still growth. And I'm looking forward to see where this continues to go. And one thing that can really help is wherever you listen to the podcast be sure to leave comments, um, give it a rating. It definitely helps me out. And like I say at the end of almost every podcast, you can also always email me with any suggestions that you have or any recommendations um, for any specific podcast topic that you would like to hear. And with that, let's get into our first story. Our first story is titled, Late Night Drive It's late when you finish your shift. The inky night seems to almost suffocate you as you step out of the building. Your car is one of the only few in the parking lot, along with a busted sedan to the far left. You think you see it moving, jerking slightly. It doesn't have any license plates. Did the trunk just move? You curse the darkness as the only street lamp in front of the building flickers. If only you could get a better look. No, you shake your head, rationalizing that it's just your tiredness. Real life isn't like a story. And even if it were, sleep is more important right now. Suppressing the guilt from such a selfish mentality you start driving. It's only you out here on this lonely road. You curse yourself for never moving to that city you swore you would. You never accomplished those goals. At least a job closer to your house would have helped you, but you were desperate and willing to drive an hour for five more dollars. Times were hard. Times are hard. You're too lost in your thoughts to notice that a truck has pulled up. It's old, worn, the rusty red paint shipped and peeling into the night as it speeds behind you. The high beams take up your rear view and leave you like a deer in the headlights as it follows your every turn. Goosebumps prickle your arms. You instantly think of everyone slaughtered in a rural town of all the fear and the mothers on interview sobbing that they never got to say goodbye. You make a left. It makes a left. 
You remember another story, then, of that one driver with the high beam saving that vulnerable girl. But real life isn't like a story. The driver of this truck isn't even trying to switch off their high beams. It's also closer. Too close. So close, you think that any more and they'll clip your car. You've heard of it before. Serial killers forcing their victims into an accident to get them. I'm sorry, they'll say. Can you check? Before plunging a knife the moment your back is turned. Almost home, you think. Dreading the last lonely stretch of deserted road before you get to your street. Almost home. The feared dark road stretches on ahead. You brace yourself for having to run, already practicing how to take your keys out of the ignition and sprinting up your driveway. But before you can, the truck takes the last exit to the left. You look at it, wide-eyed, before laughing. You don't know why. You just laugh. Peals of laughter that you didn't think you were capable of for the longest time. You pull over to catch your breath. Nervous laughs still escaping your lips as the sheer relief floods you. Real life really isn't at all like the stories. So there's no one around to save you when a heavy hand grips your shoulder. The next story is entitled Twin Day. My twin sister Maya and I are identical. And I mean that. Not a single physical feature differentiates us. It's been that way our whole lives. We've always had the same haircut, same glasses, etc. Now, we may look the same, but we're completely different. She's your average popular kid. For some reason, even though we look exactly the same, she's still the cute one. She enjoys the attention, and everyone knows it. I, on the other hand, tend to keep to myself. I mean, it's not like anybody really cares. I'm just Maya's sister. I always have been, and always will be. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate Maya. I never have. We just don't see eye to eye sometimes. And maybe you could say I'm a little jealous of her. Today's twin day at school. It's a day where you're supposed to dress the same as someone, anyone you want. This has always been a little tradition for Maya and I. We dress the same and watch as not a single person can tell the cute one from Maya's sister. Hey, it's twin day at school. We still dressing up? I asked Maya. Yeah, but you're dressing like me this time. Last year, I was you and that didn't go too well. Maya said. All right, fine, I retorted. We got dressed in matching blouses and skirts, and she didn't have two of the same sweater vests, so she wore a lilac one while mine was light blue. We went downstairs where our mom was, and just like every year, we made her guess who was who. Okay, Maya is in the blue, and Millie is in the purple? She said, nope, 
other way around, I said. We got to school and exited the car that morning and walked inside. The day went pretty normally, but people definitely got us confused a few times. It was raining when school ended, and as we were walking to our car, someone drove by and the car splashed mud up at us, barely missing me and hitting Maya square in the gut, staining her sweater. Ugh, gross. Now my sweater is stained, Maya said. Want to switch? I'll wear the stained one and you can look as perfect as ever, I said, teasing her. We got in the car and switched sweaters, and she started the car to drive home. But then, all of a sudden, I blacked out. I woke up in the grass, with paramedics surrounding me. Apparently, a semi-truck had slipped into our lane and hit the driver's side of the car, head on. My sister, where is my sister? I said with a shaking voice. The paramedic paused, then the look on her face. Maya hadn't made it, but she didn't want to tell me. So she changed the subject. What is your name, sweetheart? Do you know where you are? She asked while checking my vitals. Maya. My name is Maya Williams. I replied. The next story is entitled, Buried. Today was a very important day for my family. They were traveling to the west side of town to be introduced to my husband Drew's new girlfriend. Her name was Patricia, I think. I often heard him talking about her whenever he took long walks in the woods behind our house. He had never described me the way he would describe her. My sons, Timothy and Andre, were clearly not as excited to visit this new partner my husband had. I felt bad for them and wished and prayed that there was something I could have done to help. As they loaded up in the car, I remember watching them all in the car, the breeze blowing in their hair from the open passenger side window, and both boys occupied with either a book or a snack of some sort. Drew loaded the rest of their belongings in the back of the car. Just when I thought they were getting ready to pull off, he got out of the driver's seat and told the boys that he'd be right back. I watched him walk from the car to a familiar-looking tree in the woods behind my house. He walked over to the big tree in the woods, with markings all over it. They were scratches. My scratches. He bent down closer to the ground and pushed some leaves aside. Under the leaves were small holes in the ground, small enough for fingers to fit in. My fingers were struggling, trying to pull myself up from those holes. My husband bent down even further and moved a fake bush out of the way to reveal a tombstone, my tombstone. He kissed it slightly and said, Sorry, Miriam. You just didn't make the cut. He put the bush back and rushed back to the car, excited to see his girlfriend after a long week of work. Was I offended that my husband insulted my death with another woman? Yes, but I dried the old and decomposed tears from my face 
as I wanted to see the look on his face when he found out his girlfriend, too, is in the ground like me. Not put there by a rude and abusive husband like me. Oh, no. She was put there by a woman. A woman who wanted revenge for being mercilessly murdered by her cruel husband who left his kids no explanation when they wondered, how long will mom be gone? A woman who misses her children. A woman who is currently writing this story. Our final short story is titled Winter Rain. My mother once told me about a thing she called winter rain. It first happened long ago in her small hometown in northern New Mexico during the Second World War. Her father was overseas, deployed to the Western Front. Her mother worked during the day to keep the old house waiting for his return. And my mother? Well, she was the one who loved to watch the rain. She still does to this day. She used to say the rain had a beauty to it, yet sometimes it could turn dangerous. Acid rain may be terrible. Freezing rain may chill you to the bone. However, there is worse that can fall from the gray clouds overhead. My mother saw such a thing on that day in November when she was inside staring out the window at the skies while waiting for her mother to return. Earlier that day, a burst of bright light had shimmered over the horizon past the mountains, testing at the far-off government site, she said. Usually harmless, nothing more than lights and rumbling. However, that day as my grandmother, whom I've never met, when she rounded the corner of the street on her way home, the rain began to fall. Thick white snow-like droplets fell from the sky, and to my mother's horror, where they landed, things began to die. My grandmother, initially unaware, stumbled as she walked down the street towards the house. As she got closer, my mother could see that her face was covered in boils, skin turning red and purple, eyes seeming to ooze. Her clothes began to melt and stick to skin as hair dropped from her scalp. And worst of all, under her skin, something seemed to be moving, squirming like worms under wet soil. Then, as she reached the front steps to the house, my grandmother collapsed. My mother fought the urge to go outside and check, some sense of self-preservation keeping her from going outside. And as the rain continued to fall on that old metal house, she watched my grandmother's body slowly melt into multicolored liquid before being washed away with the pale rain. Washing it away along with, as she put it, every living thing that the winter rain touched. When the storm ended, much of the town's vibrancy was gone. The land was, as my mother says, 
washed clean of all life that had been outside that day. She stayed inside until people in yellow and white coats with bubble heads arrived. My mother and the rest of those who had stayed indoors were relocated. The town itself was quarantined. And my grandmother? Officially, she was and still is a missing person. However, my mother claims otherwise, insisting my grandmother was washed away by the chalk-white droplets of a torrent of winter rain. Stranger still, my mother claims that my grandmother is still alive. All of them are. They are simply resting, waiting for the next winter rain to wake them. Thank you so much for joining me. It's goodbye for now, but I hope to haunt you again soon.